Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello, Gavin. Hello. How are you? Welcome. I, yeah, I am just fine and dandy. I think the main question is, how are you? I'm feeling much better. Uh, much better. Thank you very much. Delayed. Uh, my apologies to our listeners and to you for the delay. I just uh, just wasn't feeling great. Yeah, Gavin had a little bit of a sickness on uh, starting the night before we were supposed to record. And then we thought, okay, we'll just record on Wednesday, the day we normally release and just release it in the afternoon. But then you were still sick. So yeah, here we it's are. A, it's like it, it, it was teasing me. I'd start to feel better and then something something would start to grip the back of my skull. You know, its I, way up. I had a cold a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, that was sort of the same thing where I thought it was allergies and then it was just straight up a cold. I mean, it's that season. The seasons are changing. It's funny. I'm actually uh, wearing a hoodie right now. It's, it's a beautiful day outside. But normally, you know, for this whole summer, it's like usually 104 degrees outside in the Fresno area. Now it's 74 and I'm freezing. I'm like, oh my God. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm upstairs. Normally when we're recording in the afternoon, I have to turn on the AC. And now instead I'm like uh, bundled up and uh, yeah, I'm it, sure it, I'll, I'll get used to it. It, it looks like you're, uh, you're way up north. We're, we're uh, filming in December and, <laughs> and uh, you're bundled up. Yeah. Surprise, there isn't steam coming from a hot chocolate. Ooh, except for we all know I don't like chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could I have had I could have had my afternoon tea, but I'll probably have that uh, after this caffeine free afternoon tea. But anyway, you're feeling better. That's great. We're here recording. Uh, same old, same old for me. Nothing new to report here. So uh, we'll kind of just get straight into the episode because we are a little crunched for time today, being that we are recording at an abnormal time and Gavin has a busy day probably catching up on stuff that he may have missed the last couple of days at work. And so, yeah, this will probably be a shorter episode than normal, and that's okay. We're talking about a very fun and insane movie today, but luckily, not necessarily a whole lot of information on it. So it'll mostly just be us talking about our experience watching it and so forth. Mm -hmm. So uh, getting straight into martial arts movie news, uh, the main thing would be the unfortunate passing of Meng Hoi. So beloved Kung Fu movie actor, choreographer, and director passed away. Uh, his roles in front of the camera are very memorable. Uh, maybe some of the most memorable would be obviously uh, Yes, Madam, mm -hmm. where he played, I believe, Aspirin was his character's name. Uh, for me, he was a co-star in it's pretty much the very first old school Kung Fu movie I ever watched. The Incredible Kung Fu Master with Sammo Hung. Uh, he was also the star of his own Kung Fu movie, Hell's Wind Staff, uh, which the Wu-Tang Clan would later use as a name for one of their songs. Uh, he was a fight choreographer uh, behind the scenes. I, he choreographed such films as No Retreat, No Surrender, favorite of ours. He, I guess you could kind of look at him as a, a protege of Corey Ewan. He worked a lot with Corey Ewan before stepping out on his own. And then as a director, he famously did Lady Reporter, aka Blonde Fury with Cynthia Rothrock uh, in front of the camera. Also, Zoo Warriors was a famous role of his. So, yeah. And, and, and one of my personal favorites is actually Heart of the Dragon, that, that role that he... Not just his role in that, but he was also credited as one of the action directors. There was yeah. like a, a group of them. But yes, it, it, you are correct. A very good role in that as kind of the the voice of reason for Jackie mm -hmm. Chan's cop character uh, in that film. So uh, he, he always had a very memorable look to him also. You know, he stood out kind of like uh, chunky cheeks and uh, a little short and stocky, but a very talented performer as well. And yeah, he will definitely be missed. Uh, there's a couple of good interviews they got with him over the last couple of years for some of these Blu-ray releases. So yeah, I've only seen, uh, I'm trying to think which one I recently watched with him that had an interview and now I'm drawing a blank. But yeah, apparently just very humble to himself kind of guy. Uh, yeah, so sad to see him go. I believe he passed away from cancer. So you will be missed, Meng Hoi. But other than that, martial arts movie news, uh, nothing too new to report. Uh, well, just... so, someone's down, getting down to bees' nest. Oh, 
oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, uh, the, the trailer for the yes. Jason, new Jason Statham movie, The Beekeeper. Yeah, yes. I, sent it to, uh, I sent it to Gavin. So it's actually, I don't know why, but it's the first one I've watched that I'm excited for in a while because it looks like classic Statham with some new fresh elements that he like so desperately needed because it's like, I like all his movies he makes, but sometimes it's the same thing over and over again. Uh, aside from Wrath of Man, which came out recently, which is more is, you know, not a straight martial arts flick or even kind of action flick. Uh, that one was really good. Guy Ritchie directed. Yeah. Gavin turned me on to that one. But not only does he need some freshness, a lot of his films have just been kind of not it, it, living it, up to his usual standards. It's kind of gotten it has that post. Uh, I don't know how to say this other than like post major success era rushed job yeah. feel to them. Uh, uh, like I was excited for Wrath of Man. Glad I saw that film. Great film. Josh Hartnett was fantastic and in as well. I will also say that I the comedy he did Spy. He Spy was, was I, good. I, yeah. He stole the show. That was a while back, though. A now. while back, yeah. yeah. So this this one is something I, I his screen presence is always fantastic. Everything he does that isn't over edited is fantastic. I think we're gonna find finally get to see him in that right vehicle again. This feels almost like that gorgeous Jackie Chan moment where he's been throwing out some stuff and now now here's something special for the for the true fans. And I think you nailed it. The the editing thing is something that's killed some of his recent work, like the the way too fast to cuts. And it's interesting. I've been catching up with a lot of viewings of uh Eric Jacobus's YouTube uh show he does, uh mm-hmm. I believe oh it's action talks, which yeah anybody who hasn't watched those go on there, watch them. And I forget who he was, was talking about. Was it Stuntman exactly. Talk or Action Talk? I think it's called Action Talks. Okay. Yeah. And maybe it was his episode with Jude Poyer. I'm not sure. But they were talking about how, you know, when it comes to if you're going to do fast cuts, they have to be cuts with intention, right? With Mm -hmm. That help accentuate the scene and tell the story, not just cuts for cuts sake. Hence why that interesting late, later Sammo period, like Pedicab Driver, where there's those sequences like in the fight with Billy Chow where he does like 15 cuts rapid fire, but it works because yeah. each cut has an intention and is telling the story. Whereas the classic example, like they showed on there too, with uh, taken three or whatever, where he's jumping over the fence and they use like 16 <laughs> cuts for no reason. That's the one you want to avoid. And unfortunately I feel like some of Jason Statham's more recent work, they he's not it's his fault. It's just, it's fallen victim to that. Now with this new movie, the beekeeper story-wise, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine. Nothing. They're not rewriting Shakespeare or anything, but it just looks like the action is fresh and exciting. Whereas even if the editing wasn't the issue with some of his recent work, it's maybe also just, I feel like I've seen it before. I, you know, even there's a, there's a movie of his that I, I I really like. And once again, I just need to rewatch maybe again, but safe. The one he did, uh, you know, got over 10 years ago. Now the one where where he's keeping the girl safe. Yeah. The, yes. the little Chinese girl. That one has all the setup for being an amazing film. And re- it is, but at the same time, there's something about each time I watch it, I'm just not left satisfied 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that was one of the first ones where I was like, oh man, had this been made when he was doing like the first Transporter films, it would have been a classic. But I feel like, and there was nothing wrong with the stunt work stuff. A lot of uh, famous guys worked on that film. A lot of the 8711 team is just something... I feel like it didn't quite come together right for some reason. Once again, sometimes I watch and I feel that way. Sometimes I don't. Maybe it deserves another rewatching uh, soon. Well, you, you, you know what's funny is, is the film we are going to discuss today does not suffer from over-editing or too much darkness to try and be cool or anything along those lines. But I feel like there, there, there was an era of Western action films and also probably action films in general where you want to go sleek and dark and like have a lot of like wet grounds wet pipes everything's <laughs> dripping you know everyone's wearing black and and sometimes you can get too cool well too cool for school mm-hmm. yeah no i agree i agree you know when something's popular everybody jumps on it right uh and then that, and that's not just necessarily with choreography style. That could also be with the visual aesthetic, like you're saying, right? Like the overall mise-en-scene of the film, like everything from the cinematography to the lighting to, you know, the DPs all trying to make them look the same. So, yeah, it's uh, when something's popular, people try to jump on it until it's not popular and then find the next popular thing. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty much martial arts movie news. Uh, no quote today because uh, uh, Gavin uh, 
uh, unfortunately didn't have time, and that's okay, because we're going to get straight into our episode. So uh, today, we are talking about the 2010 Thailand action film, Bangkok Knockout. BKO. That is correct. So if I'm not mistaken, this was your first time watching it? This was my first and second time watching it, yes. Excellent, excellent. So, for me, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I was actually living in Thailand when this film came out. Wow. So, uh, as some listeners may or may not know, I moved to Thailand in the fall of 2010, and it was, I didn't realize it was this late in, because according to uh, Wikipedia, it was released on December 16th, 2010, which makes sense. I left Thailand December 23rd. 2010 and moved to Beijing, China. So uh, I, I was in, I, I say lived in Thailand. I was there for four months. So uh, it was my longest stay in Thailand. And I hadn't really heard anything about this movie. I, I loved going to the movies in Thailand because I went there to train Muay Thai. I was super disciplined, six days a week, nothing but training. Then Sundays, like still to this day, is always my rest day. And my favorite thing to do was I would call my taxi driver. His name was me. He had his own private little car. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. Everyone would be like, why do you use me, man? He charges twice as much as all the other guys. I'm like, because first of all, I could trust him. And second, he would just wait for me at the, the mall. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, no, go do something. I'll take another taxi. He's like, no, no, my friend's fine. I'll wait because he knew I would pay him his like double rate. And the cool part was like, let's say if I did randomly, there was like one or two times I needed to go do some shopping. I could just leave all my stuff in his car mm-hmm. and I knew it would be there when I got back. So anywho, I would go to the mall. I would go get like a cheap meal. Like I'd get, you know, the Asian style of pizza, as anybody that's lived in Asia knows. It, uh, I mean, you can find authentic pizza places like in Shanghai, but then also throughout China and Thailand, you find kind of like their version of pizza where it's it's definitely mall pizza. So anyways, I'd go get some like weird concoction of pizza. Then I'd go to the movies. If it was a local Thai movie, it would 99% of the time have English subtitles. If it wasn't like, I think I may have gone and seen a few American movies that were playing, but I did go see Legend of the Fist, the Chen Zen movie with Donnie Yen. And yes. that was dubbed into Thai with no Without subtitles. subtitles. Yeah. So I remember when I went to buy the <laughs> ticket, the ladies uh, at the counter, you know, they spoke a little bit of English, like, oh, there's no English. No. And I was like, oh, no, I know. They're like, no, but no, no English subtitle. No. And I was like, yes, I know. I know. That was kind of a harder one to watch, especially because. <laughs> As a joke, the Thai dub, it's like Donnie Yen's voice. They, they give him this very deep voice like this, uh, except for it would be a sword cup. You know, it was like in Thai and uh, it would be a little off-putting, not to mention I didn't really know what was going on. But uh, this film, <laughs> I hadn't really seen much on and I just saw the posters. I was like, well, that looks cool. Uh, I guess I'll go see that. And so I go, I see it and my mind is blown. I'm like, what did I just watch? That was the most insane stunt action fight movie I have maybe ever seen. So I went back like three days later and mm-hmm. I saw it again with the intention of, I thought, oh, no one else has been even talking about this movie coming out. Like none of the movie websites at the time. I was like, I'm going to write a review for it since I'm the only one that can pretty much watch it. And then I'm going to submit it to one of these websites. Well, never did it. I got lazy. But I did take in my notebook into the movie theater and was trying to take notes in the dark about all the different characters <laughs> and this and that. And uh, upon my initial viewing, I think it was a different, it was like subtitles kind of more for the local market, even though it was in English. Same thing with the end credits. I remember the one that's on Tubi now has it all in English and has them all by their styles, which will make talking about the film easier. It wasn't like that when I went and saw it. So I was trying to guess what everybody's style was and even their name, uh, you know, phonetically trying to write it out in English. And I have that notebook still somewhere in storage, but I wasn't going to about to go through a bunch of boxes again and make a huge mess. So yes, I did go see this movie in theaters twice, uh, which is very rare. As you know, there's only a handful of movies that have ever done that. But I will say this. I was blown away by this film when it first came out. Absolutely loved it. I, I thought it was amazing. Now, is it, does it stand the test of time? Yes. Is it as mind-blowing and amazing as I thought it was when it first came out? No. Is it still a great, awesome fight fest action film? Absolutely, yes. But it definitely, it holds up, but not quite as good as when I first saw it. That is my take on it now. 
Well, it, it's interesting because I I think for for me, first time viewer in within the last week, second time viewer within the last week, um, starting the film was a little delayed. It's a little clunky, mm-hmm. and you know I'm used. To, we're all used to this. I mean, I, I you know you watch film, foreign films, and sometimes you just need a little. You need a little time and space. You you have to suspend the dis, uh, the suspension of belief a little longer because the comedy might not be clicking for you, or or how the scenes are shot, or the location. But um, like I said, I watched it twice. I went through the whole beginning phase a second time as well. Once I was a little more used to it. Uh, but I don't know if I if if I were in your shoes, I would have sat through the whole movie in the movie theater. Like if if we weren't reviewing the film. Maybe like first 30 seconds, first two minutes, I'd be like, ah, let me try something else. Uh, I'm glad we were reviewing this for the podcast because the first action sequence. Wow, this this is, I, this, I'm kind of shocked. Maybe this is an accident. It's so good. This might be an accident. Yeah. Then with each passing sequence, I'm like, how is it that every single sequence has something that is absolutely amazing taking place? This is a fight movie. Yes. But it's also like, it's like, I want to say it's almost like the first time that I watched Singing in the Rain, which was post, I want to say post Mr. Nice Guy, pre-Rush Hour. Does that time frame work? Or is it the other way around? Wait, uh, but you're talking about Singing in the Rain, right? Like, Yeah, so the first time Gene I Kelly? watched Singing in the Rain was in between those two uh, okay. Jackie Chan films. Okay, because between I, Rush like, Hour and Gorgeous, you said? Rush Hour and Mr. Nice Guy or Mr. Nice Guy yeah, and Mr. Rush Mr. Nice Hour. Guy was first and then Rush yeah, Hour. Yeah, so after okay. Mr. Nice Guy, before Rush Hour, I was like, there, there was this period of time where I'm like, I'm running out of good action films. Every, you know, I'm always hearing about Gene Kelly. So I go watch Gene Kelly and it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. The, what I saw in this film, I got that same experience from, from Singing in the Rain. It's like the movement, the way the camera, for the way they shoot the fight sequences, the way they edit the fight sequences, says the way they execute the fight sequences are just kind of phenomenal. Yeah, but you nailed it that the beginning is definitely clunky and it's actually a lot slower than I remember, which is funny. Like, I, I just remember when I first saw it right out the gate. And that's why I wonder, I'm like, Maybe the original Thai version had something more at the beginning. I don't know, but it's 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 actually clunky and a little slow because the action really doesn't start to pick up until I think it was the 22 minute mark. Now, once it really starts, it almost never stops. You're given quick little breathers in between. So for like the last hour and a half, the second, you know, the, the last 90 minutes of the film was like nonstop action. And right when you think it's done, the finale no then there's this like a second 15 minute long stunt finale so you get plenty of action but you nailed it where same thing in this digital streaming age where we're not forced to sit and watch something all the way through just like when we used to rent movies like actual vhs or dvd copies of films you would sit there and watch it because you just paid three bucks or whatever for it you weren't going to skip over it in the streaming age something's really got to jump out and grab you right away. Otherwise you're like, Oh, it's kind of boring. You know, yeah, it's, we're it's, all, we're all guilty of it. We shouldn't do it. Uh, you know, a lot of times we, as viewers have the experience where we can know in the first couple minutes, but there's been a few times, bless you. There's been a few times where I was wrong and I went back and tried watching something again and loved it. I was like, Oh man, I should have watched this all the way through. There's mm-hmm. been other times where I'm like, no, I need to sit and watch this all the way through. Make yourself do it, AJ. And then an hour and a half later, I'm like, okay, that's 90 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back. But I sat through and I watched it. So uh, you're right. I can easily see how with this film, you may have just decided. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I mean, I can't. I I have this thing where I, once, I, once I get even semi-invested in a storyline, I have to finish it through, even if it's like horrible. Mm-hmm. like horrendous this is like if i'm watching you know third rate a third rate film I'm like it can't be this bad i need to just see the the next scene in the next scene uh so i do have that fixation where i want to see the whole story arc play out but the truth is without without linking it to a podcast or without linking it to going to a movie theater or renting it who's to say whether I would have or not just because, and I, and I, I mentioned that because there might be listeners who listen to this episode at first few minutes, just throw on, throw on the, 
throwing the film and like, yeah, this isn't for me. The payoff of this movie compared to the clunkiness of the beginning for the for the the setup that's kind of all encompassing, kind of like find a way to to raise the stakes, but also keep the action within a tight budget frame and build characters within like this first 15 minute, minute period. It just, the payoff is fantastic. Yeah. And so let's get into talking about the plot and the premise on Wikipedia, I think is really short, concise and well-written uh, because this, this movie isn't necessarily very plot oriented. And yes, there are excessive plot holes and yes, character motivation is very weak in some points. And, you know, uh, story direction is very questionable, but we're not watching this film for the narrative. So, <clears throat> as written on Wikipedia, give me just a second here. After winning a contest to star in a Hollywood film, a group of martial arts students celebrate by hosting a party, but they all get drugged and passed out while celebrating. When they wake up, they are attacked, and soon some of their friends have been kidnapped. They quickly learn that a group of assassins are after them and that the contest may not have been what it seemed. The only way to survive is to fight their way out and rescue their friends. Bangkok knockout. Pretty accurate. Yeah. So S some some, you know. Yeah. I mean, as much as you could sum it up in like a very long or, uh, you know, short paragraph long, maybe. Too long of a sentence. But uh, anywho, yeah, that's the, the basic premise. The stunt team, uh, they wake up after being drugged and find that they are forced to participate in this kind of fight slash stunt contest to the death where some high rollers are outside betting on the different fights slash obstacles that this stunt team are forced to partake in and so it's like big money like three hundred thousand dollars if this fighter beats this fighter or survives this stunt and this and that so they're literally being stunted to death and they have to find a way to get through all these obstacles and once again brilliant setting of picking one location and staying there for the most part it's like a big abandoned kind of warehouse type thing and this preceded the raid by a year so that setup of the the singular location, which the raid did brilliantly, well, they did much better than this film, but they're kind of utilizing that. There's even a few little choreography bits that kind of uh, are reminiscent of the raid because of the styles of some of our fighters. So with our stunt team, each individual has a different type of style because they're mm -hmm. an overall team. So the the leader of their team who is... And you have to be careful because there's two different characters here. Uh, one named Pod, P-O-D, one named Pom, P-O-M. But kind of the leader of their team is a character named Pod, who is a Taekwondo expert, who, and you can tell. Uh, and so when I first saw this, as I said, in Thailand, I was guessing everyone saw I'm like, all right, that guy's obviously Taekwondo, very high level. Uh, and then we have another member of the team named Yugo. Uh, whose martial arts is Muay Thai, like it's mm -hmm. clearly established he does Muay Thai. I'm not sure if he really does in real life. It's I wasn't that impressed by his Muay Thai skill, but uh, but Pod's Taekwondo is phenomenal. We have Ao, whose martial arts is Commando Sambo. And the funny part is when I remember on my original notes, that's what I wrote. I wrote Sambo, question mark, you know, because it's kind of supposed to be like a military. He's got like a dog tags and grappling heavy style, but he still kicks and punches. Uh, and he's the only one of this team that I recognize. The rest of this team is obviously made up of Pana Ritakai, who is mm -hmm. uh, also the, the director of the film, the very famous Thai action filmmaker, kind of the guy responsible for starting Thai action cinema, the, uh, the kind of teacher and mentor of Tony Jaw. He was the choreographer for Ong Bak, Tom Yum Gung. Uh, he also directed this film. He directed and starred in, we did the review for the original Born to Fight. That was his film. And he also co-stars in this as one of the villains. But uh, so this whole cast is pretty much like obviously his stunt team in real life. And I don't really recognize any of them. And uh, there's not much information on them. The only one I do recognize is the Owl character, the Sambo guy, because he was also in The Kick, which was the, uh, excuse me, the Thai Korean Taekwondo uh, action film. So anyways, then we also have Ido, who does his martial arts is free running. 
So uh, there's a couple guys that kind of are a combo of like free running slash tricking, but his is free running. Then we have Lerm, whose martial art is Tai Chi. And we'll talk about him a little bit more because that's one of my favorite things about this film. And when I first saw it was his was the Thai interpretation of Sun mm-hmm. style Chinese martial arts, which I still think this is one of the coolest examples of. Uh, and then we have Git, whose martial arts is gymnastic. And that's the only one I can't place exactly who that would be. Uh, I'm not sure. Then we have Palm with an M, whose martial arts is Kung Fu. So his is like a hard style Kung Fu. Then we have Zhao, whose martial arts is in, they misspelled, but it's supposed to be Capoeira. And so he's the one that's kind of a tricker slash Capoeira. Then we have Nat, whose martial arts is Ninja Samurai. And I don't (laughs) know who that's supposed to be either. Well, I, I, when you tell me that, obviously, I feel like it's the the guy who sw- was w- using the samurai sword, right? But that'd be from the villains. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so maybe that's who it's supposed to be. That makes sense. Okay, and then yeah, that's because that's at one main... point he reveals his face, right? But we don't. Yeah, I know there are a couple of face reveals, and we don't see one. And right, so that's probably right. And then our our main villain is uh, Mister Sneed, played by Speedy Arnold. Now. Not much on this guy. I think he was just a local Thai guy that got involved in some, like one or two movies while over there. And then he also apparently voiced some sort of children's show for 50-something episodes. Once wow. again, when this film first came out, there was no info on any of these people online pretty much. The only one I recognized uh, is Kazu Patrick Tang, uh, who plays kind of uh, Mr. Sneed's cohort in all of this. He's like running the show for Mr. Sneed mm-hmm. uh, and his high rollers that are gambling. And then the as we four, the four high rollers, the four high rollers. And then as we mentioned, uh, Panaritakai plays kind of the head of the henchmen. They're all his trained henchmen who mm-hmm. works under Kazu Patrick Tang, who plays Dr. Dushanan. I probably now, butchered when that I, The speech that Mr. Sneed gives. Right. I'm like, boy, because I've just watched Street Fighter. Obviously, ah. like Raul Julia giving that same speech. They call Thailand the land of smiles, <laughs> but I like to call it the land of piles, <laughs> piles of cash. Like that's the kind of dialogue this guy's given. Yeah, uh, and it's kind. Of, he doesn't do like as as someone who doesn't have the years of Raul Julia's experience. Yeah, much better than the the one performance. Why? why yeah yeah uh agreed he you know he he does well with what he's given so i mean but the funny part is this is the kind of role where any of my friends when i was living in china for all those years could have played simply because someone saw them as oh hey you're a big foreigner like even my really good friend danny who's an actual real actor right yeah you know he's trained in acting and he always liked to establish that clearly like even all the years in china a lot of our friends were more stunt performers or Mm -hmm. you know action actors at best danny always looked at himself as a real actor that's why he didn't just take random stunt roles all the time but you know he would sometimes get castably because he was just the big white guy that you know uh in his case could act but a guy like this is the same sort of thing though you may have just been the one big foreigner guy that was around like hey i know a guy that could play that role it's like have you ever (laughs) acted no i mean for me I would get approached to do stuff. And yes, I did do some film roles and commercial work while I was over there. And the, I remember one of the only ones I really went on a, an audition for was the one where I got like the biggest role in the commercial because, I mean, I had a background in theater and acting as well. So this maybe Speedy Arnold, <laughs> I really doubt it's his real name, but who knows? Maybe Speedy Arnold kind of just fell into it, right? Oh, definitely. I feel the, I feel like there are a few people in that room who fell into it in the well, in the high rollers room. Three out of four of them for sure. I feel <laughs> like the so there's a, a Thai American guy pretty much that's yes. one of the high rollers. I feel like he's a real actor and he, he obviously yes. speaks Thai fluently and you know had non-accented American English. The other three I don't think even spoke English, even though all of their dialogues in English was all kind of phonetically learned. We have a Japanese woman. <laughs> Who has Daddy a, gave me much money to gamble. Yeah, Is that her line? No, she did not say that. No, she says something like that. I Daddy? watched that scene a couple of times. So maybe I just could not understand what she was saying, which makes yes. total sense because that, it's so thick. Maybe, so you would probably actually have more experience understanding that accent. And, and then, and then uh, there's the Russian. 
the Russian who definitely like I love at the end where it's like, if I recall, you made a lot of money when we played in Somalia. And he's like, your recall is correct. It's like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Okay. That doesn't really, you know, make sense. But okay. And then there's a gentleman from Africa who same thing has a very heavy African accent. And yeah, I don't think they get, he didn't seem to have full lines. Right. And he only had a, a couple. So yeah. Uh, so anyways, we've established the plot. We've established a lot of the main actors, uh, the the few known actors, and then a bunch of non-known actors, but very so I, I do I do have a question for you regarding okay. this film. Uh, for me, like I said, the first time I, uh, I watched the first action scene that happened, I was like, oh, wow, this this is actually really good. It's shocking. Is this Was this an accident that it was this good? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the scene that made this movie real for me was the cage fight. Yeah, and exactly. I, and so for me, I, I was just wondering, like, at what point in this film and rewatching it, you know, or even going back to your first time, were you like, wow, th- they're doing something different and I cannot afford to blink? Uh, agreed. So upon rewatching it, I was kind of like, man, what? You know, this doesn't hold up as well as I was hoping. And then the first fight is the cage fight, who I think is supposed to be against the Capoeira character. So mm-hmm. uh, that would be... Shavum. Uh, where is it? I got it right here. Jow. And it's in a cage. And for the most part, I think there's one, same thing. There's a couple little wire bits throughout the film. I I think I count like three or four, nothing excessive in terms of the wire work. Mostly just, I feel like it was used to help with landings, if anything, Mm -hmm. so that they didn't just absolutely, even though there's some stunts where they feel like, how the hell did they do that? But uh, it's like a cage fight where it's kind of a combination of, once again, as I said, there's like two or three guys that use a combo of like free running and martial arts. So his is supposed to be kind of like, oh, you know what? Maybe the one written as Capoeira in the credits is actually the bad guy he was fighting. And maybe the good guy was actually the gymnastics. They wrote him as gymnastics, or maybe it's vice versa. I don't know. I think you're onto something though with the ninjutsu guy, because that was definitely a bad guy. Anywho, so it's it's kind of a combination of they're using the cage to bounce off of doing flips, doing capoeira style kicks, like the, you know, the spinning like wheel kicks where their bodies tilted downwards. And that sequence is so well done. It's, and it's very much like you could almost argue like monkey kung fu or something because he's bouncing around. He'll jump up, jump off, jump back up, jump down. And similar with the free running sequence we get later, which is just phenomenally well done uh, as well. So I agree with you. It was when that sequence came on, I'm finally like, okay, because I remember how good uh, Pod was at Taekwondo. And that's what mm-hmm. I was looking forward to again. And that definitely held up. But that was the sequence right there. Because with that sequence, it's intercut with uh, our Sambo character, Al, also fighting a, uh, for lack of a better term, and this was the term that you know was obviously, I think, still used in Thailand. He fights a quote-unquote lady boy uh assassin so he the sambo guy has a fight against him which is very you know it's typical of the humor of that time from thai films and media uh i'm not sure as much now obviously i'm not living there but you know that's part of the culture uh i i know that isn't exactly the nicest term but that is the term they used over there while i was living there uh so they have a fight sequence which is kind of supposed to be like a you know sexually comedic gag type sequence which you know isn't that great but cutting back with the cage fight is a great way to kind of wash that one uh away uh, well put and then and uh, the thing the what's what's interesting about the cage fight is it it becomes two villains versus one and when that happens is another climbing on the top of the cage it just it's it's very choreographed dance the way they work together it's almost like coupling there it's like they're they're there's one sequence where our our protagonist in the cage lands on the guy's shoulders and you know a lot of movies that's that's the end you know you but it continues from there then the next guy comes involved and then then his friend comes over from the fight uh and so now it becomes two on two and then the villains disappear the light comes on they've won the fight the bet's over and then they we continue on to another fight. So nothing is is dragged on too long, but also nothing is like I want to say big Hollywood. Okay, we've got the move down, so we're going to end it. 
so nothing ends prematurely and nothing is milked too long. It's just, it's, it's like this, uh, tango that goes throughout the film. It just, well, and, and the way they ma- match the different styles up against each other throughout the film, uh, and changing the pieces, like who's in at what point. I mean, and it, there are a few other fight sequences that happen that are, I mean, uh, with joy or w- with one of the other ladies where they're captured and how they break out. And I, and I don't know if they got into what style they're doing. It looked a no. little more. And like- both, the, both of our main actresses. So we have the characters of uh, joy and oops. Well, and I have the full credits. Doo, doo, doo. What the- oh, sorry. I was about to start. Oh, it switched over to a live photo. Okay. We have, uh, we have the characters of Joy and by Fern. So those are our two and they are actually well-established Thai actresses. So yes. I did look them up. They have a filmography and stuff, but neither of them are martial arts as far as I know, but both of them utilize martial arts throughout the film and do a good job, especially, they do. uh, the by Fern character. She throws some Absolutely. good kicks, but, uh, Right. And so you nailed it. It's the best way to get as many different fight scenes in one film and switching it up. Who fights who is by creating this premise of, oh, there's gamblers. Oh, so now we're going to set up this fight by this fight. This is the bet. These are the odds. These are the wagers, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's like, cause you're like, wait, why would this person then fight this person? It's like, okay, now we got to switch it up. So once the fights get going, as I said, you get a little bit of breathing room. Yes, there is some obnoxious Thai humor thrown in there. Uh, I shouldn't say obnoxious, but culturally uh, different humor no, than what we're it's used like to. Loud, and I'm yeah. sure that's how you know when when folks are watching U.S. films overseas. Uh, that's I'm sure some people feel that way about our humor. I'm sure sometimes yeah, it's a little loud. It's a little gaggy. It's a little X, Y, or Z. And and definitely, I mean, there's one character in particular who's a, who's a little loud and gaggy, but. That's the point. And uh, so he's the a musician that accidentally gets thrown in with the stunt team. Uh, spoiler alert, we find out later on he was in it all along. He was one hmm. of the bad guys. But he's very over the top and kind of obnoxious and has a – it makes me think that maybe he was like a, a well-known television figure or something because he has a line he says throughout in English, classic. He keeps saying classic. Uh, his voice Please is stop. actually – yeah. Well, it's true, right? That's how I he know. says it. He's like, you know, like – Oh, classic. Uh, anybody that watches it, you'll feel, I think it's a pretty good impression. But, uh, and he has an obnoxious wig on, obviously, and so forth. So, yeah. Uh, so that's where the fights get going. Uh, the main one I want to talk about is uh, the character we had mentioned before, who is credited as Tai Chi, which is the Lerm character played by, oh boy, here I go. I'm going to try. Punyapat Bunkunchanak. So, uh, and obviously you can tell that in real life, he has a soft Chinese martial arts background, whether that's just wushu or if it's more specifically Tai Chi and so forth. So you, you think, well, how are you going to do a Tai Chi style on the Thai action framework, especially of that time, the Tony jaw era, uh, Panaritakai style. And what they do is a really cool display for him. Like first he starts off fighting. There's a Jason character that okay. pops up throughout the all the fight scenes. And by Jason, and yes, I mean Jason, like the yeah. horror film yeah, character. Like, it's, it's a horror trope. He walks yeah. in the room and the way they shoot it, the way he's car- he's also carrying this huge axe, axe and just yeah. like dragging it, the sound, the, the weight, uh, the weight of the sound. It's, it's, it's not just a so hockey well mask. Done. It's a metal mask, but it is supposed to be Jason. So he pretty much fights everybody at one point. At one point, he's completely on fire with an axe uh, fighting. I think our free runner guy as a car uh-huh. is also trying to hit the free runner. Uh, but that first fight with yeah. the Jason character yeah, so is that's a, where we, we first get to see uh, Lerm do his like soft style on him, mm-hmm. which is really cool to watch, but it doesn't really do anything because nobody can do anything to the Jason character. Next, Lerm fights a masked uh, fighter <laughs> who does like a hard style kung fu. So it's a very cool display of the Thai style action, like real hard hitting, hard style kung fu, which really kind of looks like the C-lot we were going to see a year later in uh, the raid. Mm-hmm. And maybe had already even seen or were about to see for the first time in Barantau, uh, the the first film Iko Uwas did with Gareth Evans. And either which way, so it's like hard style kung fu versus soft style tai chi kung fu. And it's a really cool fight sequence because the way our uh, tai chi fighter learn moves, you know, uses the big arms, the the kind of stepping in and uh, the the slight what you'd maybe call shui jiao, like the the trips and or shui fa, the kind of tripping and throwing of 
Chinese martial arts. And he also does some wushu kicks in there. So that's why I'm like, I think it's like that he does some really cool aerial northern style kung fu kicks where they do a great job of that's where they'll cut the camera, set it up for a slow motion shot and -hmm. allow him to do a uh, like 580 spin or whatever with a kick. And then, you know, we get to see him do some weapon work with the pole. And that whole sequence really stood out for me at the time. Still stands out to me. Absolutely. To this day. That's that's a really fantastic sequence. I would. So anybody listening to this that likes Chinese martial arts, watching this film for this character sequences alone would be really cool. Because I remember at that time seeing and thinking, we need a film with this guy, with Pano Ritakai directing, doing the stunts and based off of this character and just solely doing this interpretation of Chinese martial arts. Now we saw Tony jaw utilize like traditional Southern style, kind of like a more tiger claw hungar base is sort of an Ong Bak too, where his character learns all these different martial arts styles from around the world. And that was very well done. But what makes this so unique is we've seen the interpretation of Chinese martial arts in other, uh, region cinema. I mean, even Mm -hmm. Japanese cinema, American cinema, European, et cetera. But I I feel like this is one of the best displays of northern and soft style martial arts or uh, Chinese martial arts that's really ever been done, but also 21st century. I mean, I think obviously Jet Li did some phenomenal work, you know, in the Shaolin Temple films and so forth. But this is really kind of like, as I said, his primary base style is Tai Chi, then with some more northern style aerial kicks thrown in. And that sequence is probably my favorite of the film and really one that I wish they would have expanded upon in other projects, that kind of style. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it, it th- as we discuss this film, it just seems to me like there's, is actually casting a very wide net for, uh, that could introduce different fans. Like this is essentially a mixed martial art film. Mm. Is it going to be hard grappling like warrior with uh, Tom Hardy? No, it's not. It, but it is, it is truly, I don't know. It, uh, I don't know how to say this properly, but it, it seems like it's a philosophical film or a philosophical thought process behind the film of pitting different martial art styles against each other. And, being in control of it choreographically so it turns out to be as extremely beautiful as possible while shot within an abandoned building slash warehouse. Uh, And to see this character in particular work against a Jason character, then work against a harder hitting Kung Fu and and just working his, working his way through. I, 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 uh, I should have real, I should have guessed that this would have been one of the characters you wanted to talk about because even in the, even at the dinner scene where they're kind of all doing their different styles a little bit, uh, I was gravitating towards him and wondering what we would get to see him do later in the film. Yeah. And from there, we finally get to see, you know, Pod have his first real big action scene where he takes yeah. on the ninjutsu sword wielding guy, which is a great sequence. Because uh, Pod has a really legitimate kind of hard hitting competitive Taekwondo style with his kicks uh, and his timing and his rhythm. That's where it's like, that you can't really emulate. You can't just do film-wise. You can't just be a guy that learned Taekwondo for film. He really has that that rhythm and timing of someone that competed in Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. And once again, he has one wire-assisted kick at the end. But otherwise, the crazier stuff is all just he does on his own, like aerial kicking a dude while another dude's in the air type thing. From there, I mean, we have, as we mentioned, the Jason sequences throughout uh there's a muay thai sequence between the two uh the villainous muay thai fighter and our muay thai fighter pretty much at the end like and then one character gets killed at the end they all end up in the finale we have our good guys and then all the bad guys show up and reveal what's truly going on that's where we find out who has double crossed them for example the annoying musician character reveals that he had been working for them the whole time classic uh and then we find out, oh, surprise, one of the characters isn't actually dead. He was a bad guy the whole time. Oh, surprise, another character was a bad guy. Oh, surprise, you know, and as I said, it, and then so pretty much this sets up a finale of the entire villain team versus the entire good guy team. And it is just balls to the wall crazy how they choreographed this because it was one of those sequences where 
when you watch it again. So each cut is obviously highlighting a particular part of the action as action's going on in the background. But when you, if you decide to just watch the background action, it's all legit. It's not just like flailing arms sometimes like the old Kung Fu movies or people standing around. It's like they're doing the real hard-hitting stunts in the background too, which makes you think, how many times did they have to do that? Because they had to do it for their close-up. They had to do it for the non-close-ups. I'm like, they were just putting their bodies on the line. There's a car involved that starts hitting people. There's, uh, and then people crashing into the car. There's, uh, I can't remember, if, I don't think there's any fire in the finale, but there, you know, people are getting hit with pots and boxes and thrown into tables and just the stunt work is crazy. Everybody's involved. And then at the end, the good guys pretty much triumph. So then Panaritikai, who's the head of them, even though he's old and has an inhaler, uh, you know, Kazu Patrick Tang's like, oh, it looks like your team wasn't that good. He's like, I said everyone, including me. And then he comes out as the old man and just starts beating up the entire team. And it looks realistic. He's using very straightforward part, like punches to the throat, he claws a dude's eyes till he starts bleeding. Our Muay Thai fighter, you know, he does like a Charlie horse dead leg to uh, palm our Taekwondo guy. And then eventually, and he's already like broken all their bones and stuff. But they managed to beat him by holding him down and not letting him get to his inhaler when he needs it. And then they finish him off, right? So you think right there, okay, it's over. The gamblers outside are like, oh, I lost all my money on that last bet. Oh, well, <laughs> guess it's time to go. And then we've got Kazu Patrick Tang, the last one, just like bolting out of there. But then our, our stunt team, which seems defeated, are like, no, nah, we're going to get these guys. So that's when we get a final 15-minute finale of the ones <laughs> still able to move taking on the remaining henchmen like on motorbikes and stuff Tom mm -hmm. chases them down and suddenly gets a gun and starts shooting some of the other bad guys and then him and kazu patrick tang have a fight on and underneath the truck as it's driving probably like 50 miles an hour which is a crazy stunt on its own it the is joy character gets involved she's on top of the truck uh and then, oh yeah, the the Lerm character it also show even though he's been like stabbed and shot or whatever, he's trying to get back his kidnapped little brother and Palm's kidnapped mom. Uh, so yeah, once again, it's just a final. And then the final of the movie is all of them. And we should mention the very first shot of the film is all these people being rushed into a hospital, like bleeding that's to right. death. And so that's where the film finishes. We realize, oh, this is all them post these traumatic events. So they're all in the hospital. All the good guys survive. And then that's it. That's the end. Now, I really wish we would have gotten a post-credits Jackie Chan stunt-like, you know, reel where we see all the mess-ups and everything because I feel like that was a really missed opportunity. Instead, we just get a goofy sequence of all them dancing in the hospital and then that's it. But yeah, that's the film in a nutshell. I know we kind of rushed it, but, you know, we got to cut it a little bit short today. When you and but I you know, there's one there's one point that you raise it. I, I don't want to say we glossed over, but I think, you know, um, uh, the the background not the background extras or background artists but this i don't know how they shot this fight sequence i don't know how the the script supervisor was was uh i don't know how the script supervisor was putting this together but the sequences are the continuity of these sequences particularly the 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 next to final fight sequence in the in the in the em large empty room is so phenomenally put together. Mm -hmm. the, the Just the absolute consistency. There's one scene where, they, where we have our two characters fighting here and another character is flying over with a kick. Right. We cut to that and it can, everything continues. And the characters that were back behind that are continuing. And it's just, it's almost like everything is shot one take with multiple cameras, but at the same time, it, it no, can't no, be. Yeah, it can't be, it's but a, you're right. It's, it's just... It's so flawlessly done. You're like, how did they do it? And as I said, they must have just had to do so many takes of these crazy the, stunts. It, it's what 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 this really speaks to is the absolute professionalism of not only the performers, the choreographer, the editors, the 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 camera, the camera folk. It's just so well executed. So that opening clunkiness and even the ending like dance sequence, it. it you know, the in the hospital, the even that kind of clunkiness that ex existed exists with this film. They're absolute professionals, and these are these are this is like one of those kitchen sink films that we've talked yes. about, like Young Master. We've talked about a few other. Just just throw everything in, 
And also, by the way, everything works because it's thrown in at the right point and the right ingredients and the right, the right level of balance. There are a couple of things that might be a little classic, classic. That, that don't that don't necessarily always fit, but that doesn't it doesn't have to fit for us. But my takeaway from this film is these sequences are done by absolute professionals and masters. And it's right. just such a joy to watch. Yeah, and so that's why, as I said, stands the test of time. Is it as phenomenal as I first remember? Maybe not, but totally worth the watch. If you enjoy crazy martial arts action and stunts, particularly that of Thailand, you can go out and watch this movie. It's on Tubi for free right now. Definitely a good one to get your friends or your mates together uh, and, you know, sit down and just watch it because, you know, it's a pizza and beer kind of, whoa, you know, type of movie. Like, oh, my God, very hard-hitting, fun. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a thought provoking, you know, or a kind you're going to discuss afterwards in terms of its contribution to cinema in the sense of, you know, narrative structure or anything like that. Or, But it is just a fun checkout at the door, suspend, you know, all your preconceived notions about what the human body is capable of and sit back and enjoy this popcorn flick. Now, uh, real quick, language corner. I'm just going to teach us how to say Thailand in Chinese. Super easy. Tai guo. Oh, tai guo. Yeah, so guo is the word that goes at the end of like for pretty much every country. Thai is just obviously sounds like Thailand. Tai guo. And tai the, guo. Yeah, the funny part is I was just rewatching a, a Ronnie Chang uh, stand-up special and he was talking about how, you know, the in Chinese... The word for America is Meiguo, which is literally means beautiful country, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I found that so fascinating when I first learned that. I'm like, really? That's what yeah. you guys named us? But obviously, it was probably a long time ago, pre-communist China, whatever. And you know, and then he's joking that the word for China is Zhongguo, which literally just means middle kingdom or well, middle country, but like middle kingdom, right? And he's mm -hmm. joking about how America is, you know, what we get beautiful country, and then China named themselves middle country. But yeah, very simple. Taiguo. Taiguo. There you go. Okay. Uh, on that note, I'll let you get to your next meeting. This has been fun, and we will be recording again soon. Looking forward to it. All right. Peace.